Adulting can be hard. And have you ever noticed that the longer we adult, the less social we seem to become? Join us as a pastor, a lawyer, and a generalist walk into a podcast to make time for meaningful conversations about life, theology, and the church. We are The Socially Remote. Hey guys, it is good to be back on the Socially Remote podcast. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. Feels like it's been a while. It it really hasn't. No, it hasn't, but it feels like it has. Why do you think it feels like it has, David? Uh, I guess because we put out two episodes from one recording session. So it feels like we missed a recording session somewhere in the midst of that, but we didn't. And we actually gave the listeners what they wanted back to back weeks of episodes. And by the way, speaking of that, we definitely got some feedback from some listeners. It's been, you're being modest. We got hundreds of comments, thousands, plenty, plenty of listeners and also feedback from multiple people. Would you like to share some of that feedback, Matt? Yeah, we can do that. Cool. This is our, mailbag set segment good gracious it's so large the it's mailbag huge. is it's very here. heavy i didn't realize you had that under the coffee table there where's the um, coffee table mail! oh i like that that was nice so i received comment from one individual who i don't think it listens that often to our program and hopefully they will going forward and they said uh with respect to the last two episodes great lesson bold witness nicely done eager to hear part two at that point he only listened to part one so that's a good word. What you, what you got, Thank Stephen? You. Thank you, listener. So I've got something uh, that I got uh, on a text message from a listener who uh, just started in uh, graduate school, going to law school. And he said to me, I was just asking, I was catching up with him. He said, school is good. You were right about academia. I've heard cisgender and privilege so much on my first day. I thought I was in a white fragility sermon. I did listen to your podcast to understand everything. Ha, 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 ha. So that was my comment that I got. I thought it was good. We're, excellent. we're helping well, probably blaze the path in upper education for well, for well it's good evidence that this is way out of the theoretical at this point like that's this right. is that's great this great is in your in your face you know yes. to just be starting off and already uh, be getting hit with a lot of this so uh, i'm glad we were able to help a little bit again huge thanks to neil and pat for walking us through so much of that stuff yeah thanks and and thanks also I, we noticed that you shared it on your socials so we're we're grateful for that and if you have not shared us on your socials we would be grateful for that. We might even give you a shout out for sharing on the socials if we see it. But since we're not on the socials, we probably won't see it unless you tell us and then we'll tell everyone that you did it. So before we start, I do want to remark that sitting in front of me, did you bring in all of these bags of candy or some of this day? <laughs> this is like, this is every week. It's new candy with Steve. I don't even know where he gets this stuff. Like the back corner of Ollie's. We got some now and later. We got some more now and later. And we've got the, uh, this is this is Skittles, Skittles dips, dip, Skittles dips, dips and yogurt. This shake is, the bag so they can see what they sound like. Yeah, you guys, so not like the normal Skittles. But yeah, so I actually, Matt, I'm glad you said that. I, that was an intro that I hadn't expected. I have something else for us tonight. You Are do. You, I do. Are you ready for this? Sure. I think we should do this live on the air. I have a fortune cookie for everyone. Oh my goodness! I think we need to open these up on the air and find out what our fortunes are. Let's say Golden Corral. <laughs> golden bowl. <laughs> golden bowl. Okay. The golden bowl. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know. I was eating some Chinese and I thought, hmm, this would be fun. And David, I don't know if you can participate in fortune cookies since it's not providential, but since this isn't associated with the church, then. Right. So I think Matt, we, Matt's, Matt's into it already. Matt's uh, already uh, into uh, it. You're not even going to eat the fortune. You're just going right for the fortune. This is way better than Wait. the horoscope I usually consult. So let's do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so what kind of fortune cookie are you guys, do you guys eat and then read the fortune? Clearly Matt has not. He's just reading his fortune. Well, to be fair, I currently have my Invisalign in, which means I can't eat right now. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Why do they always put them in to where when you break it open and you're waiting for your fortune, it always says, it's the, how about another fortune yeah, 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 side with the lucky did. numbers on yeah. it? Well, you see how it's they folded. Put, yeah, but yeah, they put them perfect. in there that way. Yeah, I right. wish perfect. it would be better if you could break it open and have your fortune. Steven, right see, here's the thing in a lot of Chinese restaurants. So they want me to go to a website to get a second fortune. Yeah. But I why would a marketing thing? I would just get another fortune cookie. Yeah. Because normally they're where you can reach them or you can just ask for another one. I feel one. like Chinese restaurants kind of phone it in when it comes to desserts. I mean, they couldn't <laughs> shove a fortune in a nice piece of fudge cake. Well, you could, but that would be unpleasant. Steven, what's your fortune? Well, now I asked you first, but then I interrupted you several times. So go ahead. Put all of all your unhappiness aside. Life is beautiful. Be happy. Wow. That's great for tonight's topic, which we haven't even introduced yet. Quite profound. David? Mine says to forgive others one more time is to create one more blessing for yourself. I feel like Confucius ripped that off a little bit. I don't think he came up with that one. No. Maybe from Jesus. Maybe a forgive and you'll be forgiven. That sounds like a, a blessing to me. Sounds good. You want to know what my fortune is that I think will be fulfilled tonight? I think I'm good. You ready for the sneak peek? <laughs> <laughs> this has been Fortunes with David, Stephen, and Matt. Now we're going to get into the sneak peek and actually introduce our topic tonight, which we are going to be talking about. The church's response to COVID. And when we say church, we mean sort of the church global. Big C. Big C church. But also within the big C, what a lot of the little C churches are doing. So little C. Thank you <laughs> for that. So Red C. <laughs> parted. <laughs> Moses. It's just free association. Dead what are we doing here? <laughs> can you hit the sneak peek music so Matt can get us into something? Good gracious. So it's not a big shock that life, as we understood it, changed quite a bit. And uh, I think it was about March over in this country and uh, due to the COVID situation. What we wanted to talk about tonight was, and we've done an episode early on, I think it was the first episode, um, where we talked about sort of a Christian response to COVID. And that was all the way back in March. What we want to do tonight is is talk about the effect that COVID has had on the church. And as Stephen said, we're going to talk big church. We'll talk a little bit about little churches, but sort of the effect that it's had on the church and the Christian church, and, and particularly in America. So we're really going to do probably three things. And I should say, what people will find out pretty quickly is, is that there's a broad spectrum on this and how churches have responded. You've got Summit Church, which is in North Carolina, J.D. Greer's church, who is meeting, I guess the best way to say in small groups, is that, would that be a fair way of how to describe it? House groups, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've got something like Andy Stanley's church, which is North Point, which is in Atlanta, and they are not meeting at all in any kind of physical place. And then on the other side of the spectrum- And the country. And the country, you've got Grace Church, which is- John MacArthur's church in Los Angeles, and they are not only meeting, they're meeting in defiance of a court order. So there's a broad range, a broad spectrum, and that'll be obvious as we get into this. So I think we divide the episode up into three parts. The first part is we're going to look at some trends. Um, we've had 
a couple pretty reputable polling agencies that have done some research about the church in the times of COVID. Stephen has done a good battle research, whether there's a mandate, a biblical mandate or encouragement or really silence on the issue of meeting in person in some way. And then I think in light of both those things, I think we're each going to offer our own personal thoughts about uh, how the church navigates this really weird time we're in called COVID. That's a good segue into how we feel. And maybe those feelings will change as we go through this podcast. So looking forward to it. David looks like he wants to say something. No, my feelings change all the time. So I'm counting on that. (laughs) Excellent. Well, you want to take us into the counselors? Feelings are mentionable and manageable. This whole thing just brings up a lot of emotions. I mean, the way that is impacting everyday life. I mean, every single I can't watch TV now and see someone shake hands or hug without thinking they're not social distancing. Like, <laughs> it doesn't Terrible. matter if it was filmed, you know, ten years ago. Like, that's just how my mind works right now. Um, going into places and oh, I forgot my mask, and then I'm looking at all these things, thinking like, well, that's stupid, or shouldn't be doing that, or why are we even doing that? Why? How is this a thing now? There's just so much going on, and then it's just impacting everyone's work, but it's impacting my work as well at the church and how I interact with people. And every conversation has something to do with COVID and precautions and what things have been like during this pandemic. So it just evokes a ton of emotion from me. And sometimes I feel myself getting really judgy. And sometimes I feel angry that other people aren't doing what I think they should do. And so it's just, there's so much going on internally from all this, not to even mention all that's, uh, you know, it's affecting externally as well. So this is a very emotional thing. Uh, I've seen that in my kids. I've seen it in my wife. Uh, and then certainly in myself as well. And then just the conversations with folks that are just like, can we get past this, please? And there's no real end in sight. So yeah, very emotional, feely topic for me. Well, I think I feel like just five months ago, without even thinking, having a second thought, I would have taken Matt's fortune cookie and just eaten it. Mm-hmm. Because but I might have there. COVID. But I'm one might, of those you asymptomatic. It, you touched it, it was close to your face. And so... But I think you should be feeling your oats and eat it. <laughs> Good man. Mm, I've delicious. stopped picking up gum off the street. <laughs> I don't drink after strangers nearly as much as I used to. I mean, it's just affecting everything. Well, even though that was a little funny bit, I really do feel conflicted about the whole thing. I, I'm kind of with David. I think that my emotions on this change daily if not hourly, because there are so many different things to consider. And I think I wrestle with the safety side of it because when we had this conversation initially, when we first started the podcast, I think I was the only person on the podcast at the time that knew someone who'd actually died from COVID. I don't know if that's still the case, but I know people who have gotten it. I know people who have gotten it and not done well and even passed away. At the same time, I look at what we're doing to our country. I look at what we're doing to our church and I go, is this worth it? I mean, I watched a war film the other day and I thought these people are ready to give up their lives for their country. And, and we can't, we can't deal with a simple virus. And that statement may make you mad and it makes me mad sometimes too. And that's why I'm saying that there's so much, there's so much conflict inside about how I feel because it is such a weird thing. Um, and then I look at numbers and I go, well, what are we worried about? And then I look at stories, you know, kind of going back to what we talked about lived experience. And I'm like, Oh man, this really is bad. I look at just how the world's changed. And I look at what my kids are experiencing at school. We dropped them off the other day. I saw the most awkward interaction with a teacher. We were dropping our kids off the car in front of us and just dropped their kids off. There's no patrols to open the doors anymore. And so kids are getting out 
And one of the teachers was, was saying, I had the window down, was saying, hey, air hug, air hug. And she had her arms open for this kid doing this air hug thing. And the kid kept like coming closer and closer, trying to give her a real hug. And she's like, no, 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 air hug, air hug. And the kid couldn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And I was like, oh, this poor kid just wants to give you a hug. This is so sad that this little life we live in is this. So I'm really conflicted about this. And I'm, I'm excited to kind of look at some of the stats and talk about what the Bible actually has to say about you know, in-person meetings, and maybe we'll come to some conclusion over that. Matt, how do you feel? So I think part of the problem in this time that we're living in is that it's really challenging to get a grasp as to what really is going on. When I say that is because when we started this back in March, what was the terminology that was thrown out almost every day? Flatten the curve. Flatten the curve. Was that what you were looking for? That was what I got I what I got right. You did. It made sense. We didn't know what the virus, it is a novel virus. And it made a lot of sense that we did not want to overtax our healthcare system, which they did in some countries, in particularly Italy. And some people who may have been able to be treated had to pass because they just didn't have the healthcare capacity to treat everyone. And so that made a lot of sense. Then we were told, don't wear a mask. You don't need a mask from the head of the CDC. And then all of a sudden, we're told you should wear a mask. And that there's all these asymptomatic people walking around. And then you never hear the word or the terminology flatten the curve anymore. I don't think anybody talks about flattening the curve. And so I, I say all that because I think as Christians, we're trying to figure out what's really going on. That's the struggle, which is because it's hard to figure out what's going on with the virus, how are we supposed to interact with fellow Christians? How are we supposed to interact with the church becomes even more difficult. And so I'm looking forward to this conversation. Hopefully this will be educational for our listeners because I think there's a lot of really good stats that have been compiled and studied about how people are responding sort of in this period of time that there's a lot of unknowns. Well, and to give our to give our listeners some context too, I think it, it's interesting to let them know that you've actually studied this, Matt, from a legal perspective. You've studied this about how it's affecting organizations and what, what is actually required by law for organizations to do. And so I think that brings an interesting perspective to the conversation as well. I mean, what I can say is, is that the CDC guidance changes all the time on this. And, and I mean, as someone who actually has to study it and keep up with it, it's really amazing to try to keep up with it and understand it is a novel virus. And so what, what is, can you define that for some of us who think of a novel as something you read? <laughs> New. It's not something that has been in nature before. I mean, it technically was in nature deep in some bat cave. We don't need to get into the origins of it, but it, you know, it's new. And so there's an understanding that there's going to be, as the science is, it changes, we're going to get new updated guidance from the CDC, but it changes all the time. And I think the reality is that impacts how people view how they should interact with each other, interact with the church, interact with in a business establishment, I think it, it's a confusing time. Indeed. Why don't we dive in? I'm diving in. So, Matt, you've compiled quite a few statistics here. Stat us. guy. Stat guy right here. Got some statistics about how this is affecting the church. You want to kind of walk our listeners through this in a way that they can visualize on their dashboards? Yeah. So 
there's two different studies that, uh, two different organizations that have done this. One's the Barna group, which I've studied before. They tend to do a lot of church related studies. I think they're out of California. And one is Pew research, which I think most people know. And now for something completely different. Y'all want to hear something funny. Yep. Whenever I hear Pew research, I always think it's about churches too, because it has Pew in the name. (laughs) So Willie, yeah, I'm really glad you were able to join us today. When you think of research in general, what do you think about? Well, I remember once my cousin Reese got lost down in the woods. He was out there fishing or something like that. And so we'd done a research, like the whole family got out and half of them was asleep, but we got out just to look for him. So you you searched again. Done a research? (laughs) No, we was searching for Reese. Oh, I see. (laughs) And thank the Lord, he had just took a raft to the bigger part of town. Okay. And he was just out there having an ice cream float. So you, the search yeah. of Reese. Does Reese go to a church that uses pews? Reese's church is kind of stand up because all the snakes. Okay, got it. What's his snake of choice? Coral snakes. Okay, excellent. Yeah. You know, I, I am so glad when Willie shows up to the studios. At Usually we don't put him on air for obvious reasons, but tonight we just couldn't help it because he is a yeah. Reese search expert. So Matt, please continue. Uh, okay, so that was sort of... A, a little shocking to see. <clears throat> Here's just a couple stats that we've got from life as Christians during the COVID era. And I'll probably read a few and then we can probably talk about them as we go. But the first one is sort of the online church attendance. So I think most people have gone through stages of online watching of church. Obviously, for a while during the initial part of this, everyone was doing something online to the extent their church could do that. A lot of churches like ours still offers that as an option, even though we uh, can attend in person under certain restrictions. So where we are right now on that is, it shocked me, quite frankly. And this is among practicing Christians. So the Uh, To define the term, according to Barna, a practicing Christian is someone who attends church at least once a month, which is pretty depressing, but that is what a practicing Christian. And of the practicing Christians, one-third of them have stopped attending, parentheses, online church altogether during COVID. And I thought that was a pretty pretty scary statistic. Yeah. And So so just to be clear— Practicing Christians, meaning you know, pre-COVID, this would have been someone who who darkened the church doors sometime within a month. Correct, right? And one third of those have stopped, quote unquote, attending, which now means online mostly. So there are some churches meeting, but yeah, one third of those folks have stopped attending. Yep, okay, that's right. That's exactly right. All right, and then what else we got? What else we got? So a couple other things, and I'm going to save this one for the for the end because I think it's important that we can talk about that at the end. This is this is a study. This is from Pew. And it's the same group of people. They don't call them practicing Christians. They just say folks who attend at least once a month. And it's sort of what's the expectations. And 55% of those people are expecting the church to be open, but having some type of change due to COVID. And, you know, some say, you know, we're in a mass, some say the distancing, some say a restriction, but a little over half of, of what, effectively is practicing Christians, even though Pew Research doesn't call them that, but it's the same definition, would say, we expect some type of change at the church because of COVID. What I found interesting was 31% of those people say their church isn't even open. And so that gets into another dynamic of this, which is there are some jurisdictions, some states that frankly have such restrictions uh, uh, due to COVID that 
they're unable to meet. The the one that comes to mind is California, and that's you know gotten in the news with with Gray's uh, church out there. So that's sort of expectations. A couple other things. Interestingly, to to the extent half of the people who, who are uh, practicing Christians expect some changes, two thirds of them say we are at least somewhat confident that we can attend uh, a religious service at our church. Uh, safely. And we should point out because statistics, particularly right now in this time, are time dependent. These statistics were compiled in late July, July of 2020. So if you're listening to a back catalog of this this episode, maybe it's 2022 and you're the lone (laughs) survivor and you have found us. You've run out of all other podcasts. So, um, yeah, so a couple other things, and then we'll be done with the stats. One of the things that you heard early on when everyone was doing online services, I heard this, I don't know if y'all heard this, but there was talk, wow, we're all online now. We're going to be able to reach more people because of that. Well, Pew did the research and 85% of the P- of U.S. adults said just because of COVID, they will not change their religious attendant habits at all. So I think that sort of blows that whole idea that we're going to get more exposure because we're online. Yeah. There may have been a little bit of a spike initially. Mm -hmm. Like we were watching our numbers, particularly on YouTube and our numbers were a good bit higher at the beginning, but you know, it's hard to know who that is. If that's just folks who know of our church. And so they were flipping around to different churches on Sunday mornings now because they were having to stay home and watch online anyways. Um, Maybe they had a connection to the church some other way. So I hope there were folks in there who were unchurched and were exploring, hopefully looking for some answers in the midst of all this, but those numbers have certainly gone down. So there's been a lot of discussion about V shapes in the stock market, et cetera. And even in this podcast, we've seen that our, our numbers were really high at the start. They kind of went down. They, They went back up with Neil and Pat. That's great. Did, did we see that at the church as well? Well, one of the complicating factors is that we restarted our uh, in-person gatherings at the beginning of summer. Yeah. And so yeah. Yeah, uh, we did start off with a, with a nice crowd on Sunday mornings, but for myriad reasons that has dropped off throughout the summer, not least of which being people being out on vacation and that sort of thing. So it'll be interesting to see what things look like in the fall when we get back to what would have been our normal normal weekly schedule, having several meetings at the church, full worship service and all that. So, but I do suspect we will have something of a V shape looking at how we started off and then how things are kind of dwindled during the summer. And then we'll probably start going back up as we get into the fall. Gotcha. Yeah. Two more and then we'll be done. This was somewhat surprising to me. So among all us adults, 79% say that houses of worship should be subjected to the same regulations as any other establishment, like a business or anything like that. And I got to tell you, as a lawyer, as a historian, I was just blown away by that stat because it is clear under the First Amendment that the free exercise of religion, that churches or houses of worship, churches, a Christian church, a Muslim mosque, a Jewish um, synagogue, they are entitled to better protection than Joe's business. Yet, almost 80% of Americans think they should all be treated the same under COVID. And there is a split. And just to be clear among evangelicals, self-described evangelicals, only 62% believe that. Whereas among 95% of atheists think that they should be treated the same. So you got to kind of dig into the numbers a little bit, but still 80% of people think the churches should be treated just like a business, which 
that says a lot about our view of the role of church uh, in society, in my opinion. Well, I, I think I think that's even more shocking given given what what happened with a lot of the protests and riots. There was sort of this rhetoric that was happening in the media about safety. And then when protests started breaking out around the tragedy that was George Floyd's death, when, when those protests started breaking out, some of the rhetoric that started coming from the media was, well, they, they feel strongly about this, this is very important, this is, this is their belief, essentially almost giving it a, a pass or a blessing sure. to not do some of the safety measures that everyone was going, you got to have this, you got to have yeah, this, you got to have this. Which is, by the way, another constitutional right, which is the right to peacefully assemble. Correct. From an ideological standpoint, that is shocking that that folks would categorize houses of worship in with businesses as opposed to things that people feel strongly about or your freedom of religion, the, the protected side of, of our constitution, but instead it gets lumped in with like a business. standard businesses. Yeah, so two things. One, a question. Do you think by saying that churches have special privileges under the constitution, does that apply to health and safety standards during something like a pandemic? Yeah. So uh, what would the analysis would be something like this, which is states have police power. The federal government really doesn't. So normally a state would be given wide latitude to, to regulate public health mm-hmm. and would be able to restrict things quite a bit. But because there's a specific constitutional provision, it would be subject to those regulations would be subject to some sort of extra scrutiny under our constitution. That doesn't mean that every time the religious argument wins. It's simply, have you crafted a regulation that is reasonable, that it's there are no other ways to restrict it? Mm-hmm. Um, have you treated it equally with other businesses? There, there's some type of analysis that would have to be done, but unlike a regular business, because a regular business has no constitutional protection, a place of worship is entitled to special protection and therefore subject to the government is subject to greater scrutiny to justify even uh, regulating something like a pandemic. Yeah, that makes sense. And that was the second thing I was going to say was when I read churches should be treated the same as other organizations. My first thought is a lot of like what John MacArthur has said that abortion clinics, liquor stores, casinos, that sort of thing, they're able to stay open, whether that's for political or financial reasons or what. Uh, but then the church is expected to comply where these other folks seem to be getting an out. And so that's, that's actually my first thought is they're saying they wanted to be treated equally. Uh, I suspect in some cases they would be okay with the church having stricter re- regulations and other folks getting to get away with bypassing some of these things because it's somehow they, in their mind benefits the community more or whatever. Yeah, it's, it's certainly tough. I, I just found it surprising that, and I think you both have brought up good points. I think you brought up the point about the other sort of, the protesting and all that. And people thought that that was sort of, I don't want to say a pass from COVID, but people said, Hey, you, you should be able to protest something like that. Yet a, seemingly 80% of the country thinks that it's different when it comes to the church. Yeah. And just real quick too, I know we're throwing a lot of stats and numbers out here. We have a mat on the show that gives us these things, but I can link to these on our, on our show notes that you can, yeah, you can great. give it. So it's not something special. You, you will yeah. have access. I to. don't subscribe to the okay. you know, sure. so we'll, information. We will link to these in case some of these numbers are flying by and you're going, wait, what, what did you just say? So we'll link to these on our show notes. The last stat I thought was interesting is they polled practicing Christians and how are they feeling emotionally during COVID? So practicing Christians who have stopped attending church, 
17% of those people feel bored all the time. So what I inferred from that stat was that they're probably almost in a state of depression. Like they just sit around, they're bored all the That's time. Right. And they, and so they've, they've stopped doing everything. They've stopped doing church. They've stopped doing all this stuff. And they're just bored all the time. Whereas only 6% of all other practicing Christians espouse that attitude. And then the other attitude is, I feel insecure for at least some of each day. And 11% of those who have stopped attending church feel that way. Whereas only 7% of those. Yeah. Who, who that, 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 the second one is pretty close. The first one on, on the boredom and oh, yeah, it, it, it's way, a bigger yeah. gap. I mean, it's, it's over 10%. And so the point of that is to say, set aside the spiritual component, but there is an emotional component to attending or not attending uh, even among practicing Christians. So I'm done with the stats, but I think that's all good information. As Stephen said, this stuff is publicly available, but we wanted to sort of, as part of this conversation, kind of go through about five or six different ones that have been pulled. Well, and like I said, I will post these because there's some other ones that we didn't even go over. One that I found interesting was looking at it by generations. That, oh, that's good. Yeah. That So this is, this is a, a marker of who stopped attending, who stayed at the same church and who switched churches. I'm just going to say who stopped attending. 26% of boomers stopped attending church altogether. 35% of Gen X's stopped attending church altogether. And 50% of millennials stopped attending yeah, churches altogether. I thought that was, yeah, that was really interesting. So in other words, the more tech savvy generations dropped out. dropped out. I have spoken with one Christian who said, I mean, this is really showing which churches already had a presence online. You know, they were already skilled at this. And so this was, this was nothing new. And then you got some churches, maybe some smaller churches or, or just churches who hadn't done this that are going, yeah, we don't really know our way around this. And, and so maybe it's not the production quality you're used to seeing at one of these mega churches that's been doing this for years and years. And so it was probably really easy to turn that on and go, Ugh, and just drop off. And, and, and I think that's how I interpret that data, but there's probably a myriad I mean, of other interpretations. Yeah, yeah, sure. But I mean, I think the point is, is that, we've got 50% of millennials who are not attending church right now. Yeah, that's true. And that's problematic. Yeah. All right. So there's the stats. Now, Stephen, so, you want to get into your research? So I just mentioned a conversation I was having with, with someone. He's actually a listener um, just about, about that, that, you know, production quality sometimes suffers, whatever. And, and he's actually helped some, a church sort of get themselves online but he asked me a really interesting question. And so this is what led to this bit of research. And the question was, does the Bible actually say anything about us physically meeting together? So in other words, yes, we, we can go to that passage in Hebrews that says, do not forsake the gathering together as is the habit of some, but all the more until the day draws near. I know I'm paraphrasing there because I don't have it right in front of me. But that's that's kind of the go-to verse. But is there anything in, in Scripture that says that that gathering together actually has to be in person? And my first my first response was, well, they wouldn't have known anything different, right? Like they, they had no concept of gathering digitally. Remotely. Remotely. Right. So I don't know that there is, but I mean, he pushed it further and, and raised some very interesting questions that I haven't even given to these guys and get them to noodle on them here on the show with me. But Essentially, you know, some of some of the stuff he said is our relationship with God to some extent is virtual, right? Like we don't have a sit down face to face conversation with him. We don't gather with him every week. And so, you know, in some ways that's virtual. Is there something that would prohibit us from meeting over Zoom or over Microsoft Teams or whatever, or having having this medium in between us? And so some of that we were able to go back to episodes one and two and talk about how 
when there's a third party medium that is facilitating that conversation, it is not as genuine as if you are sitting there staring at the person face to face. I've got a few other philosophical thoughts on that, but I do want to, I'm going to do kind of like Matt's stats. I've just got some quick Bible references. So I did go look up the word that's used in that Hebrews passage. And that word in Greek is episunagoge. I'm going to say that again, episunagoge. If you listen closely, you can hear in that synagogue. All right, so this is where we... <laughs> maybe you can, but I didn't okay, know. Maybe I should spell it. <laughs> no, Su- just Sunagoge. Sorry, Sunagoge. I'm is, trusting you, Steve. All right, that's fine. Um, but epi is under... We've talked about this before. Ep, like epidermis is under the skin. Dermis skin, epi under. Epidermis needle. So epi is under. Under. Uh, soon is actually with. And then the root to that word, ago, is to lead or to bring. So under with to bring would be sort of the literal meaning of it. But that word itself is only used twice in scripture. Episunagoge is used once in the Hebrews passage and then once in in Thessalonians where it talks about uh, being raptured together with Christ. But that being said, there's a lot more uses of the the root word, the ago word in there a lot. And it typically means to lead or to bring uh, people. And then of course there's, there's several 56 uses of the word synagogue, which is translated synagogue, which is the physical meeting space of the people. So I, th- I think there's a precedent to say that the Greek words here actually mean together, but you still have a little bit of trouble when you say, well, I could say that I'm together over zoom. Right. And so there's no, there is no clear biblical mandate, I would say, that says that you have to be physically in the presence to be able to touch someone, to be with them, to meet in that way together. I think you could make a strong case that that's what the intent of the Greek word is. But outside of them, because they didn't have digital means, there's no way for them to have even asked this question. Um, just a couple other interesting points of view. I also, in, in this process, I looked up three other words that are translated in scripture. So if you know how to do this sort of research, or if you don't, I'm just going to kind of tell you, you can, you can do it one way or another. You can look at the Greek word and then go from there and find where all that word is translated. Or you can look at the English word and find out all the different Greek words that go into that. So basically in the new Testament, you have gather, gathering, assemble, assembly, and congregation. Those are sort of the different words that are, that are used from the meeting together of people in, in pretty much all the cases, it's people that are actually physically meeting together. And so again, I don't have a clear biblical answer that says you couldn't do that digitally other than some of the stuff we've, we've talked about, but that's, that's where the Bible sort of stands on it from a, from a word perspective. It's always with one another, like physically, mm-hmm in the same place. There's no command that says you must be with one another physically. And so is Zoom an appropriate alternative? I'll let you guys kind of chime in on some of that. But I don't think from the Bible you could definitively say that the Bible commands that you must not meet digitally and you must meet face-to-face you know, in a building. Well, and you can make an argument too that Paul is ministering long distance through his letters. Um, he's able Correct. to minister, but that's certainly not an interaction. I mean, we do have instances where there are letters back and forth, but, um, well, and what does he say in nearly all of those letters? It's exactly. I long well, to be with. That's you. right. Yeah. So 
that's again, that's not a command, but I get why people ask that question. But at the same time, no one has to do anything more than just sit through a 30 minute Zoom meeting to know that that's not an adequate substitute for being in person. I mean, we've had so little participation with Zoom things, not across the board. We've had some some classes that have really been great with Zoom and have been doing them consistently and had great participation. But most people abhor them. And I, I can't think of anyone actually saying that that is a an, an adequate substitute for being in person with people. I think we just keep hearing the phrase, uh, everybody's Zoomed out or everybody's videoed out. Uh, they're just, I know y'all don't want to do another Zoom meeting. I mean, there's just no way to argue that anyone feels as close to their church body right now as they did prior to COVID. And so maybe we can appeal to a command in scripture, but I think just from our experience, which we can't appeal to as authoritative, but just, I think we can all just agree that this is a poor substitute for being together. So are we in sin by doing it? No, but I I think we're missing out on the human element of fellowshipping. And it's nearly impossible to fellowship over a screen when you've got 30 people sitting there, everyone's muted except for one person. I mean, you're not interacting um, you might as well just be all watching a, a pre-recorded lecture a lot of times. Yeah. Yeah. So the pushback that I would have for that. There comes the pushback. Here comes the pushback. So we got Matt's stats and we got Steven's pushback. The pushback that I would have for that is I, I do think a lot of times when we're having these conversations, we pick the worst example from like you, everyone. No one likes Zoom. But let me tell you a couple of things that I've noticed just about our Sunday school class. I've noticed that there has been more participation from certain folks on zoom than there has been when we were in person for one reason or another. And that's, that's a good thing. That's a positive thing. But a lot of times we just go, Oh, zoom is terrible. We don't get the interaction. We don't get the feedback. I I mean, so clearly I'm not a fan of zoom, right? But I do think that I am guilty of taking the worst and comparing it to the best of cause, cause there are some times in Sunday school where we could teach and it just falls flat. Not you, Matt. Why are you looking at me like that? <laughs> Not you, Matt. Never ever with you. So there is that aspect to it. But Matt, you made a good point. We were we were kind of talking about some of this in pre-show, and you know, Matt made the point that you would not accept just having a Zoom relationship with those that you're closest to. So you wouldn't want a Zoom wife. You wouldn't want to parent your children over Zoom consistently. I mean, the, and I think we, we talked about this in the first two episodes. These are great tools. These are great add-ons. These are things that we can use that, but they're not, they're substitutes. And I think David, you use that term in the first couple of episodes, and it, but it is fascinating that those are the relationships that God chooses to use when he talks about his relationship with his, with his people. So we are the bride of Christ. We wouldn't want to interact with our bride over zoom we are God's children. We wouldn't want to be, you know, parent, we wouldn't want to parent over zoom. We wouldn't want to be parented over zoom. My kids might want to be parented over zoom. So I, I think that's fascinating uh, to, to consider. But I, again, I think that as David said, is it a sin to meet over zoom? I don't think you can go that far with, with what we have in the Bible. Sure. sure. And nobody's saying that it's worse than nothing. Like it's better than nothing, obviously to meet via zoom. But that's the only option you have. If you're a shut in at your home, then please watch online services so you can still be uh, learning from the word. I guess I just wonder what, what's the, what's the motivation behind the question to even say, or to even ask, well, is there really a biblical precedent for meeting together? Cause no one is saying that zoom is awful or that broadcasting our services and having to watch at home is sinful. Like we said, 
but I, I'm just why even question the desire to want to go back to the way things were of in-person meeting? So when this question was initially asked by you, Stephen, my response was, I didn't speak to a specific biblical command and seemingly there may not be a direct command on it. But what I said was, I believe that God designed human beings to be relational human beings. And so I think the design is such that we should be together. And when we're not together, that cuts against how we're designed. Now, that's not to judge those who are sitting it out right now. I don't want people to hear that. What I'm saying is we are programmed, I believe, as human beings to be relational, relational with God and relational with each other. And not being together, especially as Christians, united in Christ, is not how we were made. And I think like sometimes the best conversations you have with a person are spontaneous and they're in person. And yeah. whether it's an emotional discussion where, you know, somebody just needs to cry on somebody else's shoulder, or whether it's a substantive discussion about something going on in their lives, a serious issue, and it's all spontaneous, and you cannot have that through Zoom or, or whatever the artificial way that, you know, we have to communicate. And so that's another reason why I think physical attendance church attendance is obviously optimal. And it just gets back to, I think, how God designed us. He designed us to relate to each other. And so with this whole COVID situation, all of that has been put in jeopardy, and that's hard. And so, you know, where where do I come down on it? I guess maybe we should talk about that. But I mean, I think where I come down on it is, is that the default position should be, and I say default, that sounds very mechanical, but as a Christian should be, I desire to be with my brothers and sisters in Christ in person. Yeah, I mean, that should be what your desire should be. It should not be, I desire to watch church online by myself or with one other person in my pajamas. And so that's kind of where I am is, is that that's where our desire should be because I think that's how we're created. And then you work from there to say, okay, and now is that a possible given the risks, given the current situation in your church to do so? And that's a, you know, that's a, that's a personal decision, but it's a decision that should be guided by, I would hope by objective evidence and objective measures that are being taken. And, you know, it's going to be a personal decision, but it's got to be based on a lot of factors. And, and so, but I think that the default position as it is, is, it should be that we should want to be together. It's a little worrisome right now because in some parts of the country, the most committed church members right now, the extent of what they're able to do is just watch online because there's no physical gatherings. And so that used to be like the lowest bar of church attendance was just stay home and watch online. Right. So what happens if folks get used to that being the most you can do as a church member? You know, obviously there's interaction outside of that with other church members as well. But if that's like, yeah, all of our most committed folks are staying home and watching church in their pajamas right now because of state mandates or whatever. And so then when the script finally does get flipped and we're able to go back again, how many folks have gotten so used to that being the the high standard uh, right. that they're not going to, they're, they're just going to be content with that right. moving forward. Well, and I, I think too, we, we talked about this at one point early on about the consumer mentality of church. This yeah, just yeah. heightens that because all I'm doing is consuming 
that piece. I'm, I'm looking to the pastors to produce something for me. It's, it, it is no longer about service and serving one another as a body. And that there, there is no way for me to serve in that capacity. I'm just watching. You're I'm just, just consuming. It's just, it's just pure consumption. Yeah, that's right. Other than, so, I mean, you, presumably you're still giving to your local church, but other than that, it's pure. And hopefully the, there's a ministry going on outside of Sunday mornings. But yeah, that is that is a time when a lot of folks plug in or are able to utilize their gifts. And so if that's been the extent of it and that's taken away, unless folks are really determined to find other ways to do that, they may get used to being able to just sit back and, and just receive for a while. Whereas in the past they would have been serving and playing a more active role. Yeah. I think we ought to probably move on to our parting shots where we can actually say where we stand. I think we ought to pick a a stance, Matt, you kind of said where you stand, but maybe boil it down a little bit, but parting shots where we can pick a stance. So there was a flood in the studio this week that we're using and I figured the banjos were ruined. But apparently not. Apparently they're not. So those guys just, they do a fantastic job every week. I can't even believe it. Ruined? Ruined. There you go. You're welcome. So I'm going to be kind of like you and have a couple, sh- several shots, which is you've gotten used to doing. So I guess what I would say is, first of all, I think we're programmed to be together. And then it becomes a personal decision, but I think it should be an informed decision. And as part of my parting shot, I'm going to ask you guys a question. Do you know how many people in this country from ages zero to 44 have died of COVID? I think we should see who gets closest and the one that gets closest gets the other half of your your fortune cookie. Sounds good to me. I just feel like I'm going to be off by thousands. So I'm scared to guess. I don't even think it's in the thousands, David. I'm going to go first since you're scared. Go ahead. I'm going to go with 249. Okay, David, what do you think? This is Price is Right, so if he goes over, I mean... Oh, okay. <laughs> One. <laughs> Why are you touching the fortune cookie? Sorry, I just want to give you... Feeling a little you overconfident. <laughs> Confucius say, put that back. Uh, I'm going to go with uh, 650. You should have gone with 250. So you go, actually both undershot it. It's oh, actually man. a little over 4,000. Okay, so from, you see there with your not even in the thousands or mark. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. Here's your fortune cookie. I was going to guess so, at least two. So then the question is... Do you know how many people from zero to 44 live in this country? From zero to 44, you mean their age? Age, zero to 44 age group. How many people are in that demographic in this country? I feel like I'm going to be off by thousands. Millions, David. You're going to be off by millions. (laughs) We could be off by thousands. He might be totally right. I I think our population total, I'm going to talk this out, is like 300 million-ish. It's like 335 million or something like that. So I'm going to go zero to 44 I'm going to say we're at 172,542,672 people. 200,000. <laughs> okay. So um, under the Constitution, they take the census every 10 years. So it's actually up for uh, a new counting. I've already submitted my information. And, but according to the 2010 uh, census, which this number is obviously conservatively low, it's about 160, 165 million people. So since COVID- I was so close. You were not bad off. Uh, you know, you just- <laughs> Can I just of, say I meant 200 million. So I was so, off and, and I, and I, I think bring, I said 200,000. And I bring that stat out because I don't think necessarily people are looking at the stats like that when you're talking about 4,000 people out of 165 million people in an age demographic, that's a huge part of our population. I mean, the fatality rate is almost nil. And so I think people should be making, and I say particularly Christians, because we're talking about church attendance, should be making informed decisions based on the true risk. 
That has nothing to do with whether you wear a mask at church. That has nothing to do whether you agree to social distance or do those things. That's just making a decision based on what is your true risk to this. Now, before anybody writes the show and says, well, I know somebody in that group, there is over 4,000 that had actually happened to, and those are tragic deaths. But I do think it's important to understand the stats. Please just read the stats. Um, the other statistics I would give, this is really a stat show for me. And this came out from, I believe Pew just did this, but I don't remember. Oh, no, it wasn't Pew. Excuse me. It was the CDC. The CDC came out and said just last month that people in the ages of 18 to 24, one quarter of those people have contemplated suicide in the last 30 days. Mm. One out of four of individuals 18 to 24 have contemplated suicide. And so, again, the point of that is to say, We've got to understand the risk to a certain demographic, zero to 44, and understand the cost to a certain demographic. And I think that that somewhat gets lost. And that's all to say church is important. And I think people need to make decisions based on their own personal views and risk tolerance, but it should not be made in a vacuum. It should be made based on what the data is showing us with the virus. Because I get back to my original point on all of this, which is I believe we are designed by God to be relational and be relational with each other, which means to be in person. That may not always be possible, and there may be certain age demographics in this situation that have a higher risk. But speaking to those people, and all of us fit into the demographic of 0 to 44, I think the evidence suggests that the the risk, and, and I've made the decision, and Molly's made the decision, and we've made the decision for our children that we can attend in person because the risk is so, so low um, now that we have more and more data compared to what we had early on when it was obviously a very new virus in, in America. So that's sort of my overall opinion on it. The only other thing I would say is the good news is, is that after 2,000 years of church history, churches have gone through pandemics before. And Rodney Stark, who's written a lot about church history, uh, wrote a book, and I can't remember if this is um, The Destroyer of the Gods. I can't remember what book, which one this is. But one of the things he says about Christians' response during some of the epidemics and pandemics of you know a long time ago, he said, when an epidemic destroys a substantial portion of a population, it leaves large numbers of people without the interpersonal attachments they had previously bound them to the conventional moral order. As mortality mounted during each of these epidemic, large numbers of people, especially pagans, would have lost the bonds that once might have restrained them from becoming Christians. Meanwhile, the superior rates of survival of Christian social networks would have provided pagans with a much greater probability of replacing their lost attachments with new ones to Christians. And then he goes on to say, in this way, very substantial number of pagans would have been shifted from mainly pagan to mainly Christian social networks. And in any era, such as shifting social networks result in religious conversions. And, and, and so there's, there's a lot of stuff about sort of how Christians have interacted, but I thought that was particularly poignant. We can look back at history, how Christians have responded and interacted during really, really tough times with regards to pandemics. But you know, I have numbers for you, Matt. Good. You ready? You can guess too, David. Do you know what 9304 is? That's the um, last four digits of my cell phone. That is correct. So the first three were given out 
last episode. And so if you want to call Matt, he said, don't write the show, but now you can call him. You can put it. He said, I couldn't give his cell phone out last episode. So I didn't, I've given half of it out in two episodes. So you can call him and complain to him. Um, I think for my parting shot, I would just say, I actually agree with all the stats that you just threw out there. I think there's still, there is a spirit of fear and a spirit of anxiety in our culture right now, even among Christians. And what do we know about fear and about anxiety from the word of God? It's that perfect love casts out fear. And what are we to do with our anxieties? We're, we're to give those over to God. We're to bring them before him. And what does Paul say in Philippians? He says that we are to be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer I love that, and thanksgiving. And so I, I appreciate the quote that you read because I think there are things to be thankful for in this pandemic and what we're in, what we're going on. So we should reject that spirit of fear and that spirit of anxiety. However, I think Paul is very clear in the book of Romans about how we are to treat the weaker brother and the weaker sister. So there may be people who have concerns, be they mathematically or logically legitimate. I think you can look at the stats and go, eh, that's not a big deal. We're fine. But there are people, there are real people who think that we're not fine. And so I think we need to be cognizant of that. If, if it means me wearing a mask that will make someone feel more comfortable at church, fine, I'll do it. If it means social distancing, whether or not I agree with it is inconsequential to whether or not we should do that out of service for one another and service to the, I don't disagree with any of that. What you just said, well, I don't disagree with your numbers. I'm just saying that, that I think I I said specifically, this has nothing to do with wearing a mask or social distancing. You did, but I'm getting to the touchy feely side that you didn't, you just glossed over and I'm glossing over your numbers. So my parting shots are these, we need to get better at relationships. I think that's been convicting to me in some of this interaction that, that I've had with this one individual that, you know, you can do good relational work on Zoom. Is it the ideal? No. But I think one thing this has shown me is that there are people that respond to that better than people that respond to being in person face to face. And then we can we can get better at relationships face to face. So when you get better at relationships, two other things that I didn't mention when I was talking that I want to mention my parting shots is there is also precedent in the Old Testament about what we do with diseases. And it includes quarantining people, which I think means not coming to the synagogue, not coming to church. Now, their family was allowed to do certain things and stand certain distances away. And, and I realize that I'm talking Old Testament here, and that's law and, and Old Testament. Matt's got his hand up for those of you who are just listening and can't see us by video that we don't have. But and I'll come to your question in a minute. Thank you. No problem. Um, but I think, I think it's important to remember that in unprecedented times, there are... I think God gives concessions for some of this kind of stuff. Um, so Matt, you wanted to say something? Well, one thing I would say is, is that there could be some demographics that don't feel comfortable. Um, I was really speaking to our demographic more specifically, but what I would say is even if you're outside of our demographic, one of the things I think people should think about is if you're not going to church, but you are doing other things in the community, you're going to work every day. Yeah. You, you know, you're going to the grocery store, you, you, whatever you do for leisure. If you're doing those things and then you're not going to church, I think that's a problem because it, that doesn't make any sense. It's one thing for someone to say, you know what? I'm very anxious about this. I'm in a demographic. I'm one of the vulnerable people and, and I'm not comfortable going to church, even if the church puts in place a lot of uh, safeguards. It's one thing if that person says that and they literally are doing nothing. 
But if they're going to work, they're going doing leisure activities in the community. And I'm not thinking anybody would say this. I just have a very hard time reconciling that. Yeah. So um, life. So that's sort of my fourth parting shot is, is trust in the Lord. Like there are some folks who you need to do serious introspection and go, is this an area of trust for me or is this an area of anxiety for me? And do I need to trust more? Again, I'm not saying if you feel like you shouldn't be anywhere and you're not doing any of the things, then, you know, maybe this is, maybe this is part of that. And maybe you're in a demographic that is at risk, but is this an area where you can deepen your trust in the Lord? And then finally, Zoom digital meetings versus face-to-face meetings is face-to-face meetings engage all the senses. Whereas sure. right now we we can at best get three, um, but most of the time too with visual and audio. You might get taste if you're like eating. You could even potentially do the Lord's Supper over Zoom and, and that way you might get smell too. So then you're just down touch, but it's not still not the same as fellowshipping with one another. So I do think that there is precedent to say we ought to be pushing to get together, trust in the Lord, get together. But, and this is where things get complicated and why it should be a matter of prayer and careful consideration. There are different laws in different States. You know, we, we did mention a church that is out there in defiance of laws, uh, attempting to, to meet, but they, they've all, and I'll link to this. They've also released a biblical statement on why they're doing it. I watched a portion of that church and the pastor even said, look, we're not trying to be difficult. We're not trying to be uh, obstinate. They just want to be together, man, and yeah. and worship the Lord. Yeah. And so this, look, this is a hard topic and we're just kind of giving where we stand and we've talked a lot, but we'd like to hear from David. Who's a pastor. Who's what, a pastor. already? Yeah. You guys uh, said several things that I was thinking. So uh, I just want to say like, I think each person, each family is going to have to decide kind of here's our boundary. You know, we're, we're comfortable with this as a yeah. family. We're going to decide to do this. And then my encouragement from that point on is to try to do as much as you can to be the church. We're working within those boundaries. I just feel like we're in this state where we're trying to figure out what's the least we can do and still be considered faithful. <laughs> so I, I think the encouragement would be to try to do as much as we can and like Matt said, we're not making this decision in a vacuum, but I just wonder how many folks have, have spent time in prayer, have spent time in God's word saying like, what does it say about gathering together to try to make their decisions about what they need to do? And I know that sounds like, well, if you go, if you go to scripture every time, you're just going to end up on the, we need to gather in person side. That may not necessarily be the case, but rather than just taking the advice from whomever, whatever your source is, um, trying to realize that the scripture needs to speak into this. Other believers need to speak into this. And then like Matt said too, a lot of these statistics about what's safe and what's not, and I know it's confusing, it certainly is for me, but I would love to see the church trying to say, what, what is the most we can do right now within the boundaries that we have come together and decided are safe? You know, if we're going to meet with masks, then let's do that and try to fellowship as much as we can and learn and grow together as much as we can if we think we can do outreach or something like that, whatever it is, or if the safest we feel is zoom, then go all in on zoom. Don't keep skipping out because something comes up. Yeah. So I would love to see the church saying, what's the most we can do and still be good citizens, still be safe. Um, still care for our neighbor, care for our brothers and sisters. And it's just a lot going on in the world. I mean, a lot going on in our country. I mean, things are just rapidly changing. And we, as we talk throughout these podcasts is, is that, we need God more than ever right now. Yeah. And you can argue whether or not it was right to kind of put everything on pause for a few months, you know, within the church specifically, but we can't go on like that indefinitely and just saying like, well, things might change. So we're just not going to do anything until everything is consistent. That may never happen again. So 
This is a God-ordained situation that we're in right now. God knew this was coming, and he has plans for his church during this time. So we need to be trying to seek his face and determine what those plans are and then do those things. We don't get a break from faithfulness. Um, We don't get a break from discipleship. We don't get a break from being a Christian just because there's stuff going on around us. Um, Folks around the world are facing things way worse because of their faith than what we're facing right now. And so we need to be able to push through this and persevere and try to see what good works God has ordained uh, for us to be doing during this time. Could I summarize all of this with a quick closing word? Sure. I think we could summarize all of this with love God, Mm -hmm. love neighbors. Love should be what drives our decisions here. And that's going to mean different things in different situations. Maybe you're caring for an aging parent and it is not safe for you to come. Maybe you have a newborn at home and you feel like to best love your family, you shouldn't come. So what we're not saying is don't come, but we, what we are saying, I think David said it very well is that we need to be pursuing God in prayer and saying, what what are your plans for your church? Where, where do I plug into that? Mm -hmm. But it's about loving God. And it's about loving other people, whether that's your own family or your brothers and sisters in Christ. And how can you best do that in this time? I like that. This has been fun. I've really enjoyed this episode. I have too. I thank you for letting me eat your fortune cookie. Well, half of it. David won the other half. I just hope I'm not one of those asymptomatic COVIDs. I'll let you know because we were in close contact. Actually, we both were. So guess what? That's not a fortune. Time to self-quarantine. Time to quarantine. That's right. Well, you guys know how to reach us. Shoot us an email at hello at the socially remote.com. Check out our website for all the show notes, episodes you may have missed. And please share the show with your friends. If you know folks who are struggling with what's going on right now, we all are. Uh, Hopefully this will be a bit of encouragement to them. And hopefully we can keep encouraging one another toward love and good deeds. Grace and peace, folks. Ciao. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Socially Remote Podcast. Until next time, stay socially remote, but in a good way. Try to practice social distancing from the tribalistic monologues you find in places like social media. Instead, we encourage you to have similar, meaningful conversations with friends, family, and neighbors. Kind of like the ones you hear right here on the Socially Remote Podcast.